0: This may sound like a contradiction but we're in the golden age of media for the first time you're able to get your content out to people who want it on their preferred platforms and whenever they want it you can target and reach communities that didn't otherwise have a voice splice is bringing together some of asia's most exciting startups at an event in chiang mai called splice beta it's a celebration of the work in this space check out splicebader.com and you will get a 10% off the festival ticket with the promo code Analyze Asia A-N-A-L-Y-S-E-A-S-I-A So now, back to the show Hi, I'm Bernard Young, And you may know me as the executive Who thinks about the media business across Asia all the time And in my spare time, I want to know What Vinyl Media is actually doing With their digital marketing in Asia Pacific You're listening to Analyze Asia The podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of technology Business and media in Asia And today I have Jeff Nicholson, Chief Media Officer of Vinyl Media and we have actually met previously. And since you are passing by Singapore again, I thought maybe we should have the conversation this time around.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and you have been instrumental in terms of figuring out how Vinyl Media itself is actually expanding into Asia Pacific. And for all of you audience out there, your CEO and founder Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk, very well known for the author of a few good books. I think Crush It and recently Crushing It. That's right. Have actually been on this podcast, and we have a couple of meet gatherings and discussions about the Asian market and. Jeff being the chief media officer and I I like to always hear his take in terms of thinking about the space how does chief marketing officers out there thinking about digital content marketing so I thought I should get you on the show but before that (laughs) I need to get to know you better so how do you start your career?
1: Yeah so I started my career right after business school in finance so wasn't advertising and marketing went into finance uh, really followed my brother so my brother worked at at the time Mellon Financially now works at Bank of America really just fell into finance based on being good at math and So the first year of my career was navigating a finance world that I really didn't enjoy. And so from that, I got a chance to run ads at iProspect, which really changed my entire life. Probably two to three weeks in at iProspect, I think I was employee number 74, number 75, I fell in love with running ads on Google. And the concept of having control of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars at a young age, and writing creative, and being the analytics person, and managing the client's expectations was such a dynamic offer and something that really I just got addicted to and I've been doing it ever since
0: and it's interesting because usually when people think about chief media officers they usually think about them being a lot more on the creative side a a lot more about being artistic and and from the way you describe the start of your career is very numbers driven and it also aligns with what is going on in the digital world
1: that's right Yeah, so for me, I was always much more on the analytics side, performance marketing, DR marketing, whatever term or label you'd like. I really looked at everything as business outcomes. So for me, whether you're going for awareness or honestly profit, you're still going for KPI. And I always went data first, but had a huge appreciation for creative and the nuance of culture and you know geography and language, and so I think if you have an appreciation, but attack that from a numbers perspective in today's day and age, it's going to be an advantage.
0: How do you eventually come to become the chief media officer of Vietnam Media?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I was working at a company called Social Code, which was a very large spender on Facebook at the time, working with a variety of the Fortune 100 in North America, and just decided I really needed to change. My best friend had found the business; we had worked there for a while, and I actually asked to, to meet Gary. I was considering working at Google, Oracle, a few other large scale companies, and met Gary at 10:30 at night I think on the upper east side in New York and we bonded within 10 minutes and I really didn't consider working anywhere else after we talked and You know, we're four years later, and I'm very happy I made the decision.
0: What was it that attracted you? The vision? The way how you all think about digital marketing in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hate to say this because Gary's going to listen to this, but uh, it was him. Um, I really wanted a boss and uh, a partner and a mentor that would give me the opportunity to grow. And I think VaynerMedia, the evolution at the time of the business, was in the perfect spot for me. So the company was creative, dominant, really just more of a social creative production shop at the time that was doing community management and, and growth hacking based on, on kind of Gary's DNA. And I really wanted to incubate a media agency inside of a successful creative agency. And so I think the, the marriage worked out quite well and uh, we continue to hopefully uh, grow.
0: I want to know this. So you, have, you have a very interesting career journey. You started from the finance and then move into now digital media. Mm-hmm. What are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience?
1: I would say the first one is that your dream job may be something you've never heard of. For me, I love my job every day and I never knew it existed. The ability to manage investments for large-scale and small-scale businesses and have a huge impact on the growth, whether it's their organizational structure, whether it's the people at the company, whether it's the processes, honestly never thought I would get the opportunity. So I think most of the time I tell people to explore as much as possible in the business world and try to find what you do like.
0: The main topic of the day is about Viner Media in Asia-Pacific. Yep. And also, I want to hear your thoughts on trends in digital marketing and how do you deal with brands, etc. in this region. So I want to first, of course, get my audience to know Viner Media. So can you briefly introduce Viner Media in Asia and what is its current vision and mission globally?
1: Yeah. So Viner Media is a global marketing organization. Its goal is to be the best human-based organization on the planet. Gary believes in being a HR and human-first organization, and that means that you should have empathy for your coworkers and really invest in the people and curate people's careers. And if you're people-first, then I think your product's going to be great. I would say from a marketing perspective, our belief is that everything at least should be under one roof or have an appreciation for each of the disciplines you need to be successful in today's world. And so we're set up where creative, media, strategy all sit on one team and work together for the client's kpis and so i think if you focus on measurement around what the client's trying to achieve and you remove ego what you come out with is a great product and we write we try to be transparent we try to be as efficient as possible in supply chain Um, we try to make sure our clients are educated and i think our differentiators in the space really set us apart from a lot of the large-scale holding companies and even some of the 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 big independents
0: i spoke to gary uh, one and a half years ago and i think you all have a very serious intent in terms of entering into Asia Pacific. I think as you start to enter the market, and I know you have been making frequent trips to Asia and to really understand the market, what are the challenges or to deal with the needs of clients in Asia Pacific? Or maybe the first approach was actually starting from your client's in the US and then move into the region?
1: Yeah, so we're doing both. So we both have regional clients that we've signed already, as well as working on some of our, what I call extensions of global clients. And I think both uh, are gonna be successful. I would say the the challenges up front are honestly just the market nuances. I think understanding and navigating uh, Southeast Asia, the different nuances you need on creative and language, uh, along with kind of the platforms that you need to operate on, we need to make sure that we have an appreciation for that. I think the the nice thing is we're bringing talent from all parts of our organization to Asia, as well as kind of a combination of, of local hires as well. The other big kind of advantage we do have is we have a lot of global partners already given the scale and partners that we do play with when you start to think about Facebook and Google and Amazon they're already very much entrenched in a lot of the markets in Southeast Asia and that's a huge advantage for us as we're very tight with those partners.
0: Do you find that their needs in the local markets are also driven by the more localization and less of how they were viewed globally?
1: Honestly, I think the biggest driver is just consumer change in the mobile phone. I think how you purchase media across the globe is actually pretty standard. I always tell people if you're buying, whether it's a brand, a vertical, a category, or a geo, 60 to 75% of the foundational success of what you do in media execution is agnostic to any of those things. And so I think if you have a very strong foundation and core, your ability to jump markets and actually be successful while translating the extra 30% and the nuance and, and kind of the, the match to that market and the brand and, and what they're looking for, you can move a lot quicker than the competition.
0: And I also understand that uh, Vineyard Media has been a very customer-driven company. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very curious to know when it comes to digital marketing and branding, and given Asia is still its very nascent stages of going into building their own brands? What are the expectations like?
1: I think they vary greatly. I think I've seen some regional clients that are really at step one, as I call it, just trying to understand what they should be doing as foundational success. And that's whether getting their listings up on their brick and mortar stores on Google Maps to understanding the basic campaign management systems on Facebook to realizing how they want to manage their CRM. And I think Anything from that to large-scale global enterprises, they're trying to figure out how can they take toolkits or their playbooks from other markets that are being successful and starting to deploy those in each of the markets and go more customer-centric or you know, what we call personalization at scale. And so I think it really depends on the evolution and the education of each business. What we try to do, to your point, is be customer first, understand where their business is, and then try to move them forward with a very simple learning agenda and making sure that they know each of the steps along the way and they won't reiterate those steps in the future.
0: Will you introduce like a few case studies that you can talk about? On that you 've done for the regional
1: clients, for example yeah so we don 't have any approved case studies in this region, so the four clients we currently have signed i don 't have any approved case studies. What I can tell you is if you look at some of our larger scale clients like coach right so it 's owned by tapestry it 's been an existing client for us for for many years they 're a perfect example of just a natural growth organically based on performance success. We started very simply with Taking over their Facebook campaigns nearly four years ago from a large scale agency, and have grown into doing multiple executions from traditional advertising, like out of home, all the way to you know potentially display and, and digital and, and everything in between. We also work with them on try to. Chew really grow their potential in each of the markets around the world because we've been leading from a pioneer perspective in North America, well, why wouldn't they want to do that in Japan or any of the other markets in, in this area? So I think that's a great example of something that we started very small and have grown both in geo and as well as scope.
0: How would you cope with a more advanced customer? Say you know the level of the customer mm. and some customers are pretty in advance, they've already done yep. some of these work already and where would you think your core competitive advantage is in taking these advanced customers to the next stage?
1: Yeah, a lot of the time it's just architecture. I don't wanna sell anything that doesn't add value to anyone's business. I think a lot of times people just wanna get the sale. For me, I wanna make sure that I identify value that I can add to each individual business. So for more educated or more complex clients, let's say, if you take a client, and it's not Amazon, but if you take a client like Amazon where they manage all their first party data in-house, they're gonna use a variety of external parties to make sure that they're kind of having an innovation success outside of their business. They have a very unique complex way of both managing first party, third party data, as well as their partners. If you're gonna deal with someone like that, you have to understand what you will and won't have access to and what you can add value to their business. So you can add strategy to how they manage their first party data, but you're never actually gonna have access to it unless you're an Amazon employee. So I think understanding the realities of their business, whether it's the organizational structure, the regulations, and then where you can add value is typically my goal. Most of the times, honestly, it's architecture around data strategy or how they're processing data is where we can help the most complex clients because those are the problems they're t- they're usually discussing with us in- these days.
0: So, in your capacity as the chief media officer, mm-hmm. how do you actually advise your clients? I mean, this is I think a more generic question to ask. What are the do's and don'ts when it comes to educating your customers to digital marketing and branding?
1: yeah so I, the first thing I always tell people is and, and Gary uses a quote which I, I like quite a bit that you don't know anything about push-ups unless you do push-ups and so for the first thing I do for advice is tell people that you're not going to learn from afar and you need to get into the details. I have the benefit of running ads for many years of my career and doing reporting and reading analytics and and I think a lot of the time I tell executives that haven't run campaigns and never touched any of the knobs and the tools that they need to take a day and just log into Google and look at reporting and understand the definitions and understand how you actually are purchasing media from these inventory pools and just how it operates at at a tactical level to give them more perspective on how they then want to navigate for their business. You know, we talk a lot about chief media officers, chief marketing officers, and and there's a lot of different kind of opinions. For me, it becomes how are you navigating your brand in today's ecosystem? And if you don't understand an ID graph or how a DMP works or honestly the understanding of whether you need an ad server or not and where your business sits in the evolution of your growth, well, you're going to have a huge problem navigating today's ecosystem because classically none of those things were, you know, any of the problems you had to deal with, you know, 15 years ago.
0: Mm. Say you have the architecture in place. Would you think that the way you do the content marketing becomes very important, like the way you may be deploying the message? And that itself is very difficult to calculate because you don't know when things will go viral or not.
1: Yeah, so the biggest thing in marketing is what you just said, which is creative matching to audience clusters, right? If you want to start to really have impact on your business in today's marketing environment, the only thing you should really be worried about is your learning agenda about how you speak to your customers in different clusters or cohorts and then the message association that you're speaking to them and where they are in the user journey. And that's as simple as... You know, prospects versus retention, and then retention at your one percent versus the retention at your you know your lower tier, average order values, that type of thing.
0: There's also the thing about cost. With cost going up for whether it's in marketing or different mm-hmm. types of branding exercises, do you see traditional companies moving towards bringing their digital media teams in house, while instead of coming to you and say, "Can you help me to work on a strategy?" You know, take it all the way and do the implementation as well.
1: Yeah, so I think I think in-house movement is definitely something that's here to stay. We are seeing a lot more companies take more services in-house and that's both creative, media strategy, etc. We fully support that. One of the first things I always tell clients my job is not to defend the agency model. My job is to add value to their business. And so we don't look at ourselves as a classic agency. Again, why I try to describe Vayner as a human-based machine is that we're trying to build an organization that organically grows in a variety of directions and continues to add value. And when you start to you know, engage businesses, you have to focus on them first. And a lot of clients, I just think even in the procurement setup, don't do that.
0: This comes to a pretty interesting situation now and i think last year ever since martin sorrell left the wpp group Mm -hmm. the whole industry is in a flux and i think in the midst of a transformation i want to hear your thoughts what do you think are the key challenges and opportunities currently facing the digital media industry
1: yeah, I think the honestly the first problem with the marketing industry is the negative press. I think people have forgotten that marketing advertising works. It's a foundational piece and pillar of success for any business and brand. And I think far too often there's a negative connotation on the industry, and I and I really don't enjoy that. So I think first we need to make sure that we're focused on creating an industry and, and businesses that are focused on creating great talent that add value to businesses and operate in, in fair practices that are great for both parties. I'd say outside of that, I think the industry needs to have a reckoning in regards to pricing, which is definitely coming. If you start to look at the huge spectrum of pricing, even in long form video across the globe, there's gonna be a reckoning for both parties. Some people are gonna win in that situation, some people are gonna lose, but there's definitely gonna be some volatility in pricing, both in channel form and delivery. I would say the other big thing that's gonna change is just how honestly people do procurement. Anything from classic media agencies of record to long-standing twenty-year relationships are probably not here to stay at the same format and function that they used to. So I think there's a variety of topics that are that are facing the industry that are exciting, and I'm I'm excited to see how we can have an impact on a lot of them.
0: So I have this one, please. I think in ten years ago, when I talked to creative agencies, whether it's WPP and some of these big ones or Gruy out there, the instinct of media buying for them is. Pretty much traditional media. Yeah. And at that point, YouTube was already on the ascent. <laughs> yep. um, I'm hearing executives like, it doesn't matter what I do, even if you two have the numbers, 95% of my media spend is going to be on TV <laughs> with a celebrity. Of course, now I think it's a very different world. And I know you guys live in that different world. Yep. How would you think the characterization is today? And I thought you would be more optimistic because it just means that the digital media industry is actually starting to be dominant. And most of these disruptions actually affecting the traditional media agencies.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not, again, I don't defend digital versus traditional. I'm just a marketer um, and a business person. I think we're at the precipice of where everyone's trying to decide if it's 51 or 49 on one side or the other. So if you start to look... At North America, right, in the last few years, we've hit the tipping point where digital did outpace traditional, depending on how you classify. And there's, you know, you you can look at a variety of different sources. But relatively, we hit that tipping point for the first time ever. And that's starting to transcend as you go across the globe, right? That change has really started to impact everything in our industry because the standards and templates and functions that people have trusted for 25 years are now coming to, to challenge. And that's a very hard thing to rectify. You know, I think if you look at Kraft Heinz, really great example in the marketplace right now where large-scale CPG, very established global brands, they just wrote off billions of dollars based on what they seemed was a great marketing function of cost-cutting, but ended up, you know, distressing the brands. Now, you could argue that there's a variety of factors there. Consumer behavior changes. Some of those condiments, you know, are not nearly as prevalent as they used to based on food consumption. So there's takes on both sides. But for me, it becomes how are you going to navigate moving forward and how are you going to continue to build a brand's value. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that navigation.
0: Given Asia is a pretty new to this and you know, and soon they will actually start to deal with brand safety and controversy. So how do you as a chief media officer actually helped Viner Media when you talk to brands? How do you talk to them about brand safety and how do you deal with controversy?
1: Yeah, I mean for us, we're really focused on being brand first, again, you know, client centric. So When we start to talk about data brand safety everything's in their best interest so when we sign a client all of their data they own all of the intellectual property we don't take any territory ownership of anything of theirs we're always enabling them to be better without us and then when you look at brand safety we're always going to play based on the client's direction and then always recommend things that they should be thinking about for their business I think brand safety is a really interesting one. If you start to look at YouTube, which is a you know mm. the global example where you had large-scale businesses, financial services, a variety of others, pull their spend. Now, if you looked at the actual application of the spend that was on inappropriate content, it was sub-1%. So the impression level and the exposure from a, a mathematical perspective is minuscule. But the PR nightmare for those brands, especially conservative brands, in certain verticals, that's very difficult to deal with in consumer public opinion. So they have to think about being overtly conservative just to avoid PR, even though the content, I mean, you're talking in some cases it was under $100,000, and these companies spend $100 million plus a year in advertising. So I think it's, it's something that we try to both recommend avoiding landmines uh, and also make sure that we're adhering to their guidelines and how they want to operate their business. I mean, other brands like you know QSRs, for example, on Twitter, You know, they throw banter and jokes and humor. I mean, a bank could never do that. So I think, you know, brand safety is, is very unique to each brand and you have to navigate that with them.
0: There's another conversation along in the marketing and advertising side, which is distribution. And of course, when it comes to advertising, you cannot run away from the duopoly, which is Google and Facebook. So, how would you advise brands to deal with distribution with regards to Google and Facebook?
1: Uh, first, I'd add one, which is Amazon. So I think Oh, yes? That is yeah, one so now? I yes, think so there's a trifecta now? Yeah, it's, <laughs> definitely, it's definitely the trifecta now, so yeah. I, I would start there. We have a saying that we quite often, which is you have to win on the winners, and you just describe the three winners, which almost every business needs to win on. If you want to be successful in today's world, you probably have to win on one of those, if not all three. And if you want to be a great business, you're definitely going to win on two of them. And so for us, we want to make sure that we're the best of breed on talent research and honestly pioneering what works on these platforms because that is the delta for a lot of businesses' success.
0: So the competitive advantage for for Viner Media is actually building the extra layer that actually drives whether a successful search, a successful successful e-commerce Sale or maybe a successful campaign to match the brand. Do I understand it correctly? Yeah,
1: I would. I would put it as Gary would love this. It's the education of attention. So we are not romantic about being Google, Facebook, and Amazon. We're romantic about Google, Facebook, and Amazon currently working in today's ecosystem. And so our belief is being educated around what works in today's ecosystem, and constantly appreciating that that's going to change and mold, and then having no ego around testing into what works in the marketplace.
0: Since you're in Asia Pacific, so I probably think that there are two ecosystems. There's China and <laughs> yes. the rest of the world. <laughs> yes. So how do you put your attention into looking at, say, the brands that are very big in China, for example, WeChat, Weibo, Bike Dances, Douyin, yep. and Jokiao? Yep. So how do you balance it versus the rest of Asia, which runs probably on maybe 80% of what... Yeah. The top, the is.
1: So it's kind of a parallel path. I would say our initial focus from a business investment is definitely going to be outside of China. But our investment in research and partnerships with a lot of the companies existing in China and spreading is just as important. So recently reached out and spoke with Tencent and WeChat, a variety of those platforms, because that's going to be very important for any client in Asia. Those platforms will have an impact on Indonesia and other markets. And so we need to make sure that we're just as intelligent around, again, the education of attention on any platform in the world, while also leveraging our benefit of the dominant platforms of Google, Facebook, and Amazon as they move into other markets in this area as well.
0: How do you think about the the apps from China? For example, TikTok, which is mm. in, is actually one of the very few apps the only one in China that is globalized.
1: The, no, it's actually, I believe it's the only one of its scale and size that has merged Eastern and Western platform that had both reached critical mass. That's right. So that actually I think is really interesting and lately it has been trending as the number one free app in the app store continuously for the last like probably a couple months and I think that's awesome, right? It, it really shows exactly why I'm excited about coming to Asia and also that the world is dramatically changing based on the mobile phone and the internet. Globalization is here to stay. The ability to have borders come down is something I'm personally very excited about. I think the the world coming together as one whole unit is really cool. And I think actually TikTok is an example of you're going to see a lot of platforms either crash into each other and merge or crash into each other and and battle. And I think you're going to have innovation and honestly competition fuel a lot of growth in our market, and I'm, I'm very excited
0: about that. I can't let you get away because you always think globally and to our conversations, you're always thoughtful about the industry in general. So I want to ask you, what do you think the future could hold for the media industry, at least in the marketing space?
1: I really hope that the first thing we do is have a lot more transparency around just what's happening. I think there's so few people that actually understand what inventory they're purchasing, what technology they're using to do that, how many people are taking a, a fee off of that in, that transaction. And so the thing I hope the most is that a lot more people get educated on what's happening for their brands and their investments, and that fuels an improvement in the space around how people operate and so that they go back to focusing on building brands and adding value and not arbitraging ad tech fees.
0: That's a very good food for thought. So. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff, many thanks for coming on the show, and it's good that we finally have this conversation here in public, but in closing, I want to ask you a question. Can you recommend book, movie, podcast, or something that has recently made an impact on your work and personal life?
1: So you gave me a few examples earlier, and I was been thinking about this as we were talking, so I'm going to use something that I do for content, and it's called reviews of reviews, Okay. I find it fascinating that you can go on Amazon or other, other sites and read consumer reviews of products. And people very often, even at their own brand, I find won't read their own reviews of their products. And so I review the types of reviews I see and I talk about what the consumer was trying to portray. And sometimes, I mean, it could be phenomenal feedback on the product's app. It could be something that's a a default or defunct of the product, or it could be something that they changed in policy that they didn't really appreciate that a consumer would identify but the business didn't. I also talk about how the companies handle the reviews. Do they respond? What do they say? How often do they respond? And so I think the thing I would advise people to do is take advantage of the information that's out there freely available and specifically around reviews because consumers telling you how they feel about products either yours or your competitors is one of the biggest advantages that you could use that almost no one does
0: it is the most quickest way to construct a customer profile That's right if there's a very good photo how do my audience find you
1: <laughs> they find me at j nicholson my handle is the same on twitter instagram etc and vaynermedia.com and Again, thank you for having me on the show.
0: And you can Google me at Bernard Leung. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, CastBox, Himalaya, and Spotify. And of course, drop me your reviews and give us a five-star rating on iTunes or a star on Overcast, Pocket Cast, or subscribe to us on all the other available platforms. So once again, Jeff, many thanks for coming on the show, and we should talk again soon.
1: Uh, I would love to. Thank you for having me.